Do our pets love each other? Do our pets love us? Find out here on the Animal Intuitive Show. Come on, all you doggies, won't you walk with me? I'm the puppet, 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 puppet dog. So there's all different ways that we can find out things about our beloved pets. Here in the Animal Intuitive Show, I talk about learning things from animals from an animal communication perspective. So how do animals think? What do they feel? As well as I like to throw in a little bit of the research when it applies. So I found out some interesting things doing both about the topic of love, which I thought would be appropriate for Valentine's Day. If you did catch this topic a few days ago or you caught the live Thursday night, this is a whole new redo. I am using clips from the live stream Thursday night where I did speak to people's animals live. I'm going to, I'm putting that in this um, episode that I'm redoing. I had a lot of issues with audio and lighting. The only thing I could salvage was uh, the, those live conversations that I had. So I figured I would just do it over. So here we are. And I just want to start off by showing you this cute little, these two little cute videos that I have. Um, one of them is me talking to my animal, my dog, Cheyenne, and then the second one is going to be a friend of mine talking to her dog, Ronan. Now, the backstory about this is that when my dog, Cheyenne, was a, a puppy, she used to play all the time with her friend, Ronan, and they would run around the backyard. They would hang out all the time. They had a great time together. He's a border collie. A while back, I think it was in August, I said Ronan to her, and this was her reaction. Who's Ronan? Who's Bill? He said, Ronan? Who's. <laughs> so when she tilts her head, this you can hear, I'm saying, Who's friend? Ronan? But then, Ronan. and this is Ronan. Where's Cheyenne? <laughs> so she's asking Ronan, Where's Cheyenne? Cheyenne? So in the first one here, I'll do it. It's very hard to see her video. I couldn't do much about it, but she's tilt her head when I say Ronan. And then I say, who's Bill? And she just doesn't really react. She just kind of pants like she's almost stressed. Like, what are you? So they haven't seen each other in years and they still have these reactions to each other's names. So when I do animal communication with my animals, I'm tuning in to find out what they think and what I feel. I've been a professional animal communicator for about 17 years. I've been talking with animals all my life, but I wanted to, uh, you know, specifically find out about the feeling and the emotion of love. I wanted to, to talk about that currently for this episode so that everyone else could hear about what I find out from my animals and from, from my clients' animals too. So when I asked Cheyenne about how she feels about my husband. Um, she has a very different reaction than um, my enormous cat is about to knock over my camera. She likes to make an appearance on the show at the worst possible times. This, she is very cat. So when I ask Cheyenne about the difference between how she feels about my husband versus Ronan, when she talks about um, Cheyenne feels a lot of like that res 
respect about my husband that they talk about in the dog world that the dogs need, you know, respect. They need to have boundaries, limitations, and all of that. That's very much what she shows me when I ask her about love and my husband. She does give me the emotion of excitement when he comes home. Uh, as an, I get, I get that as like an example. Like she's showing me that particular situation where the excitement feeling comes in when I ask her about if she ever feels excited, um, and and more of that like heart feeling of love that we think about when we think about love. I guess a lot of the time, um, and she just says, you know, that she gets or she shows me that image of that or that scene of her getting all excited. The feeling of love is there. So there is an excitement too of love, that feeling. But when I talk to her about Ronan, um, there's a little bit of needing, there's an immediate feeling of like warmth and interest in that. It's excitement, but on like a low, a low key excitement, like curiosity, I guess, excitement level kind of thing. Um, and it, she doesn't a hundred percent get the whole thing. This is a little difficult to explain. It's like she gets it, but she doesn't. But there is like this, it's some kind of a memory in her of him that is attached to emotion when she hears his name. I do believe, you know, and I get this from my clients' pets all the time, there is love. There is a feeling, an emotion of love that they have towards us. I don't think there's any question about that. And when I ask them about towards each other, I have had, it's not romantic love, I wouldn't say, the the feeling that animals have towards each other. It's, I guess you could say that the, there is a feeling that maybe is similar, but, you know, they don't necessarily think of each other on a thought level of, like, husband, wife, or boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, there's bonds and there's relationships, but... Uh, you know, with, there is a different level of like the concept with people, which I'm sure doesn't surprise anybody. Then we go to the research and there's some interesting things that have gone on in research talking about trying to figure out if animals experience love the way that we do. So, So many things to clear before you can look at anything. All right, this is an article in the Washington Post. What makes dogs so special and successful? Love. Okay, so this person, psychologist Clive, Clive Wynn, uh, wrote a book called Dog is Love. And he did a study on dogs, exploring this kind of topic, that dog is love, why and how your dog loves you. So he talks about, I'm not going to, you know, read you the whole article, I'm sure you don't want that, but I'll have a link for it. But basically he's talking here about just, you know, thinking about what's on the surface, what we see, is that actually love, their behaviors. And, you know, he makes a good point. How do you, you know, first let's have a clear definition of it. And he mentions, he avoids using the L word in scientific writing. We talk about exceptional gregariousness. We talk about hypersocial ability. 
So we're looking at that, you know, they're gregarious, they've got that energy towards another, or they're, they're hypersocial. They're really social animals compared to other animals. When we're doing science, we have to find terms that can be operationalized or things that can be measured. So they can measure, um, if a dog chooses to go for a bowl of food versus its owner, when he's separated from both food and its owner for many hours, or they can measure the hormonal levels that go up in both dogs and their owners when they look into each other's eyes. So they have to measure it out. They've got to break it down into measurable little pieces. And he mentions he's a reluctant convert to this idea that he was skeptical about it. Yes, I know I need to do my CEU credits as a social worker. I'm getting, you know, they pick up on my conversations with my husband and my Google searches for credits. And now they're like, like, leave me alone. I know I need to get those done. So anthropomorphism is frowned upon, upon, frowned upon in science. And, you know, they're wondering how can you examine a dog's ability to love without veering into the anthropomorphic territory putting our thoughts about what animals should be to be like us projecting onto them. Okay. So they do, he talks about studies. Um, one of the studies is the rescue experiment, which is one that he did. There had been a prior experiment where scientists have volunteer dogs pretend to have heart attacks and the dogs didn't do anything to help. He thought that was quite convincing. It seemed to suggest that the dogs didn't really love people. Later I thought, how are you supposed to know what to do under those circumstances? Um, so how is a dog supposed to know in this rescue experiment in which they had somebody, um, you know, have feign a heart attack? How is a dog supposed to know what to do in a situation like that? How does that prove anything really? So he looked into experiments that certainly indicate that dogs express concern when humans seems to be crying. Um, you know, something about stories, um, experiments that stemmed from stories from second world war that mentioned repeated stories of dogs trying to dig their owners out from under rubble of bombed homes. And I thought maybe we can make an experiment where we, in some way, bomb people's homes and see if their dogs will dig them out. And ultimately, it's a box. They have people crawl in the box. And then the dog does appear to look very upset, but appears to be happening as the dogs are disturbed, but only about one third could figure out what to do. So they did another experiment where they put um, food in the box and they train the dogs to open the box to get the food out. And then going forward, we put the owner in a box and ask the owner to cry out in distress. We know that the dogs know how to open the box. So we know that the dogs have that understanding of how to do that. So then you have this pretend situation that the owner's in, under stress. And in those conditions where the dogs knew how to open the box already, pretty much every dog opened the box. So that is compelling demonstration that dogs really do care if they can understand, if they can figure out what to do as well. And then they talk about biological research backing up the ideas that dog, the idea that dogs can love. So 
it, he says, if it's there, it's got to be in their biology. Their biology has to underwrite their behavior. So a Japanese group analyzed dogs and people's urine for levels of the hormone oxytocin, which gets called the love hormone because it spikes when two people are in loving contact with each other. They had people and the dogs come into the lab and look at each other lovingly. Sure enough, the oxytocin levels went up in both sides of the relationship. And if you show dogs in MRI scanners, objects that remind them of either food or the presence of their owners, you can see how their brains light up. And the reward centers of the brain light up more strongly to signals that say your owner is nearby than to signals that say you're going to get a piece of sausage. So that's a really that's really strong evidence inside the brain that the presence of a beloved human is rewarding to a dog. All on its own. Uh, they talk about that right being in the genetic code in part of the genome of the dog that shows evidence of recent changes. The equivalent part of the human genome which is responsible for this syndrome called Williams-Buren. In this syndrome, people have what they called exaggerated gregariousness. So people have, who have this have no notion of strangers. They treat everybody as a friend. They're extremely outgoing. Um, so when he read this, I thought they're much like our dogs. So he looked into the DNA samples for dogs and wolves and identified three genes that show the mutation in those genes is responsible for a big difference between dogs and wolves and their gregariousness. Dogs are much more outgoing and this correlates in three genes that independently have been shown to be responsible for the gregariousness aspect of Williams syndrome. So he says into the deepest level of biology, into the genetic code that underlies everything that dogs become, you can find it all the way through. So, you know, it seems to be that they do experience love. And another individual who has done some studies was interviewed and in, talked about in this uh, National Geographic article, Dogs Have Feelings, Here's How We Know. Gregory Burns, a neuroscientist at Emory University, trained dogs to go inside an MRI scanner. So this individual wrote this book, What's, What It's Like to Be a Dog and Other Adventures in Animal Neuroscience. Um, and he talks about, you know, doing this experiment. They trained dogs to get in the MRI machine. It took a while. It took a few months. He does a TEDx talk about this too. And it took, it took a while to figure out how to do that, to get them to lie down still in an MRI machine, which is very loud too. They, I think, used hot dogs or something. Um, that's what he said, the hot dogs, yeah. So, so they found that there were striking similarities between dogs and humans in both the structure and function of a key brain region, the caudate nucleus. And it's the state, it, it'll show as active when an individual is in a state of anticipation and will have the richest density of dopamine receptors in that area. The dopamine used to be thought of as a pleasure neurotransmitter, but it's much more complex than that. The caudate nucleus is active when an individual is in that state of anticipation, something happens, and they have to decide what to do with that information. It's particularly strong when that information is in positive domains. You see something, you approach it, maybe consume it, and when we see this structure as active in dogs, we can interpret that they are experiencing something important to them and something they like. This is completely analogous to what happens in human brains under the same conditions. 
So obviously they don't have the same brains as us. The, the size is different and, you know, this is not exactly the same, but probably the biggest area of difference, he says, is language. You don't need an MRI to know the dogs can't speak to us. And he says, at least not with words. One outstanding question we are currently working on is to try to figure out what they actually understand about our speech. Uh, so he's going to be doing some more research and, <clears throat> excuse me. All right. So he's got some other studies going with some other types of animals too, but <coughs> excuse me. Um, I also did look into cat research and horse research. And what I found was that uh, the cat research showed that there was a study that seemed to indicate the cats become more um, relaxed in difficult situations. They seek our comfort. So if, that, if, if it's your cat, they will respond to your presence in a positive way in a stressful situation. They set this whole situation up where they brought cats to a strange environment, this research lab, and the cats, one of the, one of the ways that they knew that the cats were more comfortable, that they felt was an accurate way to, to know that was the meowing level. So when the um, human that they knew were there, it was more meows. Um, there was a couple of other things. I didn't want to keep, you know, bombarding you with a million different studies, but there's something showing a bond or a connection with cats and humans. Do they call it love? I don't think they go to that length. Um, so I'm hoping that there's more studies on this stuff, but you know, I don't know how much funding is there exactly, but hopefully. And then horses, the study that I did see said that they didn't think that the horses felt there was any, didn't respond differently to humans that supposedly were like their people. They did seek, they did feel their, their level of relaxation increased around, um, humans in general, but not specific humans. Now, okay. So as an animal communicator, I want to talk about the, these things because animal communication is understanding what an animal's thinking and feeling. When we do this, we do it on a spiritual, energetic, and energetic level. So the studies that I read were saying, for instance, that dogs, I should have brought this up, but I kind of forgot to, that dogs can only experience emotions on like a two to two and a half year old level of a human. So they don't get into more complex emotion like, um, regret. For instance, there was a couple of ones that they mentioned. Um, I think sh shame was another one. So I would have to agree that there's a few emotions that we find they don't really go like they don't linger in shame. I would say that's true. They don't, they will experience, um, feeling bad about something they did, but they're saying in these studies that it's fear. 
that it's a, just a different level of like fear like oh no you're upset with me and I feel almost fearful but on like a low level um I feel that an animal may not experience emotion exactly, but can have thoughts on a, a spiritual level that is higher than um, that they can think about concepts that, th that they can think about concepts that maybe we think they can't just because they don't go into these like specific emotions that we consider to be higher um more complex emotions so that's my concern actually that people look at this research and they limit animals and I think that's a shame and it's the benefit of animal communication because you can find out from an animal not based on what you're seeing or um, measures of, you know, oxytocin in their brain and, you know, MRIs. You can find out that animals do understand things that are going on that maybe a two and a half year old wouldn't, in a, of a human wouldn't. An animal can understand. And that's where, like, I think there's an interesting, like, difference between the the human and an animal that animals have this ability to understand higher level concepts and just because they don't have these feelings that we associate with uh, um humans who are old enough to understand these concepts just because animals don't get caught up in these things like and don't maybe experience guilt or you know that or shame that they can't understand these concepts. And I just don't feel that that's true. I know as an animal communicator what I know. And I have people give me feedback about what their animals do after we discuss things with them, changes that are made. Um, I have testimonies about that on my website. I have people on this show who I'm gonna demonstrate some of that for you in a moment will confirm certain things that we are understanding about their animals. So the information is getting conveyed. Is some of it like an informational matrix where there's, an, like I just double tell people at the start of the session, some of this I'm getting completely from your pet and some of it is intuition or something I'm picking up that is information that is, we don't know how to explain it. On a, on a quantum physics level, they're trying to understand this stuff, that the information is like, there it's available it's a matter of we can access things not limited by the time that you're in or the space that you're in and they don't completely understand it but just because we don't understand something does not mean it doesn't exist we can see evidence of it being um true without having a complete understanding of it so that's why they do studies in, in various you know modalities in different areas over the years but they're lucky if they have the funding to do that to make you know to prove things so we can only go on what we see and the changes in animals and their behaviors you know we'll even have animals during a session oftentimes people will say to me well my animal just jumped up on my lap when we started this session or you know the animal you you just talked about something that my animal does like raising its paw or nudging me with its head and as you're talking about it he's doing that 
So we're seeing it like in live action. So I'm gonna play you the animal communications on that note that we did in the live stream Thursday night. So um, some kind of something go. going on in the stomach, and then I oh feel okay. In so the this hip was area. so I can pause. Okay, this. so the okay so yeah, this was um, a dog named Misha, and I was picking up some kind of, um, well, you're here, issues in the abdomen. Um, I do preface all of the communication I do on here by saying that I'm not a vet. I don't diagnose or treat illness in animals or people. But, um, and when I do a show live or I talk to animals, re even recorded that I'm putting out there, I just want to make sure everyone understands that when I do medical intuition, um, I'm not going to go as deep. I don't have the time to you know, that is a deeper, um, communication session where you need a little bit more time. Usually it's peeling an onion. And I explained to the person right as we were doing this, and this isn't in this clip of me saying this, but, um, that when she said there's a medical issue, I said, um, I'm going to be keeping it on the surface kind of general. So here we go. Okay. So the, okay. So that, felt bloated or something, you know, kind of that's the feeling I got. So that could be the stone. I mean, honestly, it just felt more. So after we started and I said, I got this bloated feeling. Um, she said that the dog has a, a bladder stone. But I don't, I don't get sharp pain personally. That's not what I'm picking up as an intuitive. I'm not getting like a sharp pain. It felt more bloated that's so if that answers your question i do get some hip discomfort too so i don't know if they're addressing that um so i would just kind of you know just something to take into consideration if they haven't brought that up some you know they're maybe she's a little bit older and you know it's not unheard of to have um some stiffness or whatever happening but just have a maybe like check that and there's a little bit of nausea I forgot to say that I was getting a little bit here um, but I don't feel a considerable for what it's worth so Tammy my Ollie is a therapy dog um, okay so we have two questions coming in so on a recent visit, he it was pointed out that Ollie kept an eye on me even when he's getting attention and sitting in their laps. Is he looking for my approval? The word I get is reassurance, and the feeling is reassured, wanting to be reassured. It feels more like, come on, like get in on this. What do you think? <laughs> um, like she doesn't want to feel separate from you in what she's doing with the person in the therapy session. Um, or in the visit, I should say. I guess what I would say is if, if, if for any reason you wanted to use this information for um, developing her, it feels like she may be a little like lacking in confidence. So the training might be around like confidence building. There's just a, a little bit of a lack of confidence. It feels like she's needing that reassurance. If that's important to you okay 
And then um, Kim, I would like you to ask Pippa what she thinks of Misha, as she's been with us a year now, and if there's anything she would like to do more or less with her. Okay, so Misha's been with you for a year, okay. So we went from, I had somebody kind of drop off. She was having some issues, the first person with Misha. So while she was like away, I had Ollie pop in. I talked to Ollie and then we're back to Misha and Pippa. Misha and Pippa are siblings, not biological, but they live together. So uh, there's a sense of her trying to figure out Misha. Like there's times when Misha's. This is Pippa. Anxious or bothered by something, something's upsetting her. And I feel Pippa being like, almost being anxious about it herself because she doesn't understand what is going on with uh, Misha. And is there anything she'd like to do more or less? Oh, and Pippa's blind, okay. Anything more or less? Um, it feels like she would actually appreciate some kind of um, scent work or training. It feels like she needs um, that kind of like stimulation. Being blind, it seems like she's extremely into the sense and that she really wants some more. Um, so it feels like doing some kind of games or training around the house with sense, like hiding things. So that little thing, if you are listening and not watching, I just flashed up. She had responded by texting. I guess we couldn't hear her. This was one of the issues the other night. She, I mean, not text, in the chat, and I was able to pop it up on the screen, but she wrote, okay, Pippa loves scents. So I was talking about that I was picking up that Pippa wanted to do scent work. Didn't know, I don't know these people at all ahead of time. So Pippa says um, she loves scents um, and used to play those games with her, but I haven't as much. Misha does have anxiety. And I think Pippa calms her. Um, so it feels like doing some kind of games or training around the house with scents, like hiding things. She would really like that. Um, and then you said about the hot air balloon with Pippa, with uh, Ollie. No, I'm getting confused now. <laughs> Names. The hot air balloon is... There's a sound that, um, I haven't been around those in a while, but it's the sound I'm getting actually more than anything visual. There's something, um, that, about the sound that makes the visual more scary, but I really feel like it's actually the sound. It's like a hissing I'm getting from it. I think because, you know, you see the, that like, when they power the thing up and the, in the hot air balloon, that sound. Um, okay, so I'm just pausing this if you're just listening. It, she wrote, the sound makes sense. She also doesn't like being around electrical towers. She looks up, but I bet she senses the sound even though I can't hear it. Uh, thank you so very much. I wanted to be able to let you guys see the live animal communication from the other night, even though this is a redo. And, you know, so, so it's nice because we get confirmation. Um, Gia's biting wires, the kitty cat. Um, she, you know, we get confirmation and that's, that's lovely to be able to hear that um, all this makes sense to people. So even though we can't necessarily or haven't yet 
had a good study done to show that animal communication is a real thing. Um, you know, people tell us things like, oh, you just said that the animal wants scent work. She did scent work. I don't usually go back and point these things out because I'm in the middle of it and I am, you know, trying to talk to people in the chat and I'm, um, you know, moving on to the next thing and getting tired at the same time and there's a lot going on and, you know, being able to do this pre-recorded is kind of nice because I can stop for a second and, you know, maybe, you know, take a moment to point these things out because I think that animal communication, sometimes we need to do that for the field of animal communication. So, you know, sometimes it can be a little crazy making when you talk to someone and then you, you talk to them later and they'll say, oh, you know, my dog is acting so different. This and, you know, that behavior's changed, this behavior's changed. And you can kind of tell they're not acknowledging, they're not making the connection between the communication that you had. And I think that's because it's unbelievable to people that sometimes you can just talk to an animal and giving them that time, that space to express themselves and to share with you. Sometimes that alone will change a behavior just for them to say why they're doing something and be heard can change a behavior. And it's hard for people to make that connection. Uh, you know, also sometimes you can even, you know, show people this is what is going to be, you need to do in order for this to change and they do it. And for some reason they don't make that connection that it was the animal communication that led you to this information. Um, so I think sometimes that's just people becoming familiar with this field and it's hard to, when you've had maybe this, this block for a long time in seeing that there is, there's something else that maybe we don't see right in front of us. Uh, you know, when it happens, you want to think it's something else or you just don't draw the conclusion. You're not able to, to make the connection unless someone has to point it out to you specifically. And even then, I think sometimes people will deny it. It's like, oh, well, it couldn't have been that. There's no way. Um, but yet there's nothing else that changed. It's just <laughs> so... So if you found any of this helpful or meaningful to you and you would like to subscribe to the show so that you can be notified of future episodes, hit the bell. That's how you usually hopefully get notified. Sometimes people don't, but we are here every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. for Furry Thursdays. That's the time and day right now. I don't know if you're watching this in a year or if it'll be the same, but uh, we hope that you do join us. We have live communication here and a nice community and animal communication is a really good way for people to um, connect with each other. And it's just a lovely community to be a part of. I'm really grateful for the people that are here every week. So thank you so much and enjoy your fur babies this Valentine's Day. Or if you're not with fur babies this Valentine's Day, um, you know, just take care of yourself and God bless.